Listening Dog Media. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Offside Rule. We get it. Brought to you by a Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan and a Liverpool fan. Hello, you're listening to the Offside Rule podcast. We get it. That's right with myself, Hayley McQueen, Lindsay Hooper and Kate Borsay. Brought to you by Continental Tyres, getting you to the game safely. Hi there, girls. Hello. We know that you're in a bit of a... A bit of a state this morning, Hayley. Why is that? Uh, yeah, I was out last night. I'll, I'll tell you where I was in a minute. Uh, I've not long been in, in fact. Well, I thought I'd adopt the role of providing cups of tea and some birthday cake from the weekend. Just to get you all feeling better. Because you're not feeling great either. You've been like on the cycling trail this weekend. Yeah, I have. I stood outside for long periods of time in the cold yesterday. I love the gig. But you know when you get so cold that you're still cold when you go to bed? Yeah. You know, it's cold through to the bone. It's awful. But anyway, who was left feeling cold at the PFA Player of the Year Awards? That's one of our topics today. We'll get to that in a little minute. But my goodness, how exciting the title race is. OK, at the moment, it's not as close as it was. We know Leicester are, of course, leading with 76 points. Tottenham behind them on 68. But with an emphatic win, of course, at the weekend. Tottenham uh, yet to play as we record this. But what did happen was that they already announced a little bit of news in the matchday programme that was leaked before <laughs> the PFA Awards. And we'll get to that in just a bit as well. The top of the championship level points for Burnley Middlesbrough and Brighton in the top three and as for La Liga my goodness 82 points for both Barcelona and Atletico Madrid Real Madrid are just a point behind on 81 a whopping 20 points behind them Villarreal they're absolutely out of it when you look at top four not that it matters in La Liga but it's really important when it comes to the Premier League so we're going to be chatting about the race I think for that fourth position Uh, we're also going to be chatting about chairman or people high up at football clubs that have said some rather silly things, profound things, or just kind of random rambling mumblings, because that's what happened this week with the random ramblings of Randy. That's right, learner. Um, After it all went Pete Tong, basically, yeah. Uh, At Aston Villa, everybody's gone. The manager's gone. Uh, Bernstein's gone. They've all gone. But let's chat about how interesting it was at the PFA Player of the Year Awards, where I was last night, sounding a little bit husky today. Um, Leicester City's Riyad Mahrez won the main award, um, the Player of the Year Award, voted by his fellow professionals, scoring 17 goals and 11 assists in 34 league games so far. They're on the cusp of the title and uh, what a season they've all had. They all flew in via helicopter. There were three empty tables in the middle of the room and it was like, when are they here? When are they coming? We'd had our starters. We were moving onto the mains it's that they can't miss the main course it was delicious beef and a mushroom sauce the red wine was flowing the champagne was popping before they'd even got there and before you knew it Matthew Buck who's sat next to me who invited me from the PFA was whisked away to go and meet them off these helicopter okay he didn't meet them off the helicopters they were brought down onto Battersea Bridge uh, straight from that that game another 4-0 as well and uh, whisked to the hotel and fancy cars 
got smartened up and, and yeah, they were paraded and it was fun. And diddly ding, diddly dong was at the front of the, 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 the queue as well as Ranieri sat down just sipping on the red wine all night and having a bit of a dance at the end of it all. Well, to give you the contrast of men's versus women's football, I actually covered Manchester City playing at Birmingham Ladies yesterday. Oh. Um, so I was travelling down the motorway, heavy traffic, and uh, interviewed Jill Scott just before she went. And she was like, oh, I'm going to the PFA Awards. You, you're going? I was like, no, but Hayley is. <laughs> and they were all off on their way. So the, the team coach leaves to go back to Manchester City women with Izzy Christensen, Tony Duggan, I believe it's probably Lucy Bronze, Jill Scott, mm. Steph Horton, um, all going down to London. Mm. All sharing a car, I think, and I saw them at the oh. service station. <laughs> so as Leicester were coming in by their helicopter, I can tell you that the England ladies from Manchester City women were driving down uh, in traffic and at the same service stop as myself. Well, it's a good job they got there because, of course, Izzy Christensen won the uh, female award. So um, great for her. Deli Alley won the Young Player of the Year award as well. And Beth Mead. We predict, I think we predicted them all, didn't we, in, in last week's year. podcast. Yeah. So Beth Mead of Sunderland, Izzy Christensen of Manchester City. Then you have Tottenham and Leicester up there as well. And of all of those, I have to say, the one that I was least sure about because of Chelsea winning the double last year, um, I was least sure about Izzy Christensen, but great to see her pick up that award. Um, and whilst we're on the theme of women's football, we have got Sue Smith back for a special one-off WSL roundup. Um, there's been a round of matches and she's going to fill us in on everything women's football. Hello, Sue. Hello, everyone. Here's my weekly WSL roundup. I'll start with Sunderland against Liverpool. Carlton Fairweather has praised his team's spirit as they come from behind to earn a point against Liverpool. They went 2-0 up, but Sunderland showed so much character to battle back through two goals from Brooke Chaplin. She's now scored five in five this season, which is a great start for any player. Man City played Birmingham. And City were looking to bounce back from their semi-final defeat in the FA Cup last weekend to Chelsea. City responded really well and won the game comfortably 2-0. Birmingham did start the game quite well, but the passing and the quality of Manchester City just shone through. I can't see many teams this year taking points off them. Reading and Notts County played out a 2-2 draw. And this seemed like a really good open game to watch. Helen Ward scoring first for Reading before Jess Clark equalising. Then Kirsty McGee scored straight after for Reading to make it 2-1 before again, who else? Jess Clark equalised for Notts County. So the game there finished 2-2. In WSL 2, Durham are sitting top of the table with three wins in three. This year, they look like a really well-organised team that can also score goals. And this season, I think themselves, Everton and, and Bristol will definitely be fighting out at the top of the league. It was also the PFA Awards on Sunday, which unfortunately I couldn't attend due to work commitments. But I just wanted to say a massive congratulations to Beth Mead, who won Young Player of the Year. She's had an excellent season. She's a prolific striker who can score all sorts of goals. A player I'm sure Mark Sampson must have in his mind for another call-up. Also, a big well done to PFA Player of the Year, Izzy Christensen. She has had a real breakthrough season last year and clearly her teammates and the opposition rate her very highly. She's a real box-to-box player with a good end product. She would have definitely been my vote. Both very well deserved, in my opinion. The female take on football. So as well as obviously past winners being British, um, really great to see Roy Hodgson there as well with Manish Basin, who who hosted it excellently, it has to be said. And Chris Coleman was there as well, of course, building up to the game when England will be playing well. You thought they might have had a bit of a laugh up on stage and a bit of a joke about it, but it was already quite serious. Ooh. I was like, oh, OK. And they were chatting about mind games. Neither of them looked at each other, I thought, because it was an award. They'd, you know, they'd, they'd kind of be a bit more relaxed, but 
Yeah, it was funny. I can't imagine Roy doing mind games. Can you imagine, yeah. you know, if it's like the weigh-in before a boxing match? Yeah. Chris Coleman, I can kind of, you know, he's got quite determined eyes. Mm-hmm. He, he can sort of do serious well. Roy Hodgson, I, I, I just want to give him a cuddle the whole time. Yeah. I, I, I can't see him doing trash talk. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely. He's too classy for that, isn't he? Um, and obviously Martin O'Neill. And uh, Michael O'Neill as well. Yes, yeah, so there was lots going on. There was Tiny Temper as well, who had a perform- He was actually yes, brilliant. That, yeah. He was really good. They had a gospel band on during dinner. It was a bit loud. I couldn't talk to the people next to oh. me. You know, and you think, oh. I'm- who was that- next to you? Well, I was with Aisha Hewton, daughter of um, Chris Hewton, of course, who is doing brilliantly with Brighton this season. And of course, Brighton play Middlesbrough, Middlesbrough, my hometown team, on May the 7th. And it's like, well, mm. we're good friends now, but yeah. wait till that day comes around. And of yeah. course, I want Middlesbrough to be promoted, but equally, it's her dad. Her dad is managing the side and she finds it so difficult. We were out for dinner on Tuesday evening when Brighton were playing and she didn't even check her phone. She switched her phone off yeah. for four hours because she just said, if they go ahead, oh, she's panicking. Are they going to keep hold of it? If they yeah. go behind, she just feels sick. So she just switches her phone off unless she's at the game. Mm. But she just says she finds it far too stressful. Mm. Her mum's like that. I've, I've uh, met her mum a couple of times and when um, Chris was at Birmingham and she would just stay in the bar. <laughs> She'd oh. be like, I'm not even going out and watching this at the moment. Oh. So, yeah, her mum's really lovely there. Yeah, but just cannot watch it. She's like, no, thanks. And I think uh, Chris Hewton's one of those managers who actually doesn't get the credit that he deserves. And hopefully if they do get promoted, finally, he'll get the credit that he deserves. But anyway, let's chat about a couple of the previous winners of this award and what they've gone on to do. Hi, I'm Paul Merson and you're listening to the Offside Rule podcast. Well, seeming as your remit for this was there have to be five years on, I won't talk about Eden Hazard because it's not five years on. But what I will say about him is in 2013-14, he won the Young Player of the Year. He then last season was talked about being the one player that could potentially upset Messi and Ronaldo when it comes to the Ballon d'Or as if that happened, because no, Chelsea have had the worst season in a long time. He's had his worst season probably of his career. I mean, to score his first two goals in April, what a lot he has to prove. So I think in terms of going on from that Young Player of the Year award and to be a contender for Players Player of the Year award, he needs to up his ante next season. Uh, But we won't dwell on that. We'll go on to five years on. And I'm going to start with Jermaine Genus, actually, from Newcastle United. Um, He won the Young Player of the Year 2002-2003 season. So if we go five years on, we fast forward the clock. He's then at Spurs and he's also playing for England. So things went pretty well for him. 2007-2008, it was the season that Spurs not only won the League Cup and he had a big say in that because he scored two goals in the semi-finals um, against Arsenal. Um, there was a replay and he scored in both of, both of the, the, the uh, matches. They also got through to the round of 16 in the UEFA Cup. Not so good in the Premier League, 11th in the Premier League, but you can't have it all. But I I thought pretty good going. I think with Jermaine Genus, you could argue, did he become one of England's best? And I think, no, he didn't. He was a good player, but was he a great player? Was he a starlet? Um, I think he was overhyped when he was at Newcastle and he did put the work in at Spurs, but he certainly wasn't someone who would, for me, light up the pitch and produce magic and be one to watch. Um, Another player a bit like that, um, who showed huge potential when he was nominated PFA Young Players Player of the Year, um, Ashley Young. He got the award when he was at Villa in 2008-2009. But again, I think he really lived up to the potential he showed as a youngster. If we fast forward five years on, because obviously we are looking at these players five years after winning, um, 
he'd been warned quite a bit for diving. Remember Sir Alex warned him and actually Sir Alex then left and this was Moyes' first season in charge. We know that that was a season that didn't go well. And when you look at who Young was competing against in that side, like Valencia, his stats don't match up. He was actually certain to leave at the end of that season. Louis van Gaal came in. No one fancied Young as Louis van Gaal's type of player. Um, But he stayed on. He did really well pre-season and he's still at the club now. But for me... He's never been consistently good. Do I think he can be tricky on the ball? Yes, I do. But I don't ever think he's had enough in his locker to show what he can do with that talent on the ball. And I think that's the problem with Ashley Young. Bags and bags of potential, but whether it was who he was managed by or just whether it was that he didn't have enough in him to truly show what potential he could have had. So for me, yeah, he was a good player, but was he one of the best? No. Well, the following year, another Aston Villa player won Young Player of the Year, and that was James Milner. It was when four Englishmen won the award back to back to back. You had Ashley Young followed by Milner, then Jack Wilshere and Kyle Walker. And then we had a Welshman in Gareth Bale. And now we've had back to back Englishmen again in, in Kane and Alley. So things are looking bright for the future. Things were looking very bright for James Milner at the time. Who'd have thought he'd have then gone on to Manchester City, had a good spell there, but then just wasn't quite used and placed as he should have been and took the plunge to go and play for Liverpool. Yes, he did have some critics when he arrived, but you just have to look at the stats. Now, I feel a bit sad when he trends on Twitter because I always think, oh, please, please tell me he's doing okay. And it's not, you know, the the awful criticism yet again uh, that is always unleashed. Or even just a boring James Milner tweet from that account, which is absolutely brilliant if you've ever... um, if you're ever on Twitter and want to have a bit of a laugh, just go and find boring James Miller. He finds it funny as well, so don't worry about that. I was sat with his agent last night, Matthew Buck, who looks after quite a lot of the, the women as well. Um, so I thought, mm, a bit biased maybe here. I will go for James Milner, even though I'm not a Liverpool fan, as we well know. You are, Kate. <laughs> yes, I am. But, yes. you know, Milner too, yes, he's put a shift in. Yes, he's very reliable. But is he one of the country's best? No, he isn't, which is a shame. However, he's consistent. Yeah, he is. He just goes about his business in a professional manner. He's not a show-off. He's just a straight, old-fashioned, traditional Englishman. Now, isn't it funny that obviously winning this award when he was at Aston Villa, they're now relegated and he... Listen to these stats. So at the moment, he's taken over from Arsenal's Mesut Ozil as a king of assists. Um, His two assists against Everton, which was in their most recent game, took him to 14 and 11 in 2016 alone. So he's he's streets ahead of anyone else. That's six more than Ozil in 2016 and actually six more than the entire Aston Villa squad since the turn of the year. Hi, I'm Jeff Stelling and you're listening to The Offside Rule. Three women talking about football. I'm used to listening to four old women talking about football on Saturday afternoons, so I definitely prefer this. Flipping heck, the title race. Goodness me. In this country, it's been up and down, up and down, but I think it's pretty much got Leicester's name all over it. But third and fourth, my goodness, that's getting very exciting as well. Or is it? I'm feeling quite nervous about it all. Uh, One week, I'm optimistic that Manchester United will be absolutely fine. And then the next minute, it's doom and gloom. Nope, if Mourinho does come to Manchester United in the summer, he's not going to be getting Champions League football. And we're not going to be able to... You know, talk about Pep going head-to-head with Jose Mourinho battling for the Premier League title and Champions League supremacy as well. I'll tell you what, whatever happens, it's going to be exciting. Obviously, he was um, 
rumoured to go to Paris Saint-Germain, wasn't he, Mourinho? But we'll just have Asian to see. Talk. Yeah, Asian yeah, talk. yeah. I know. I think I think we'll just have to wait and see because no one no one's got anything certain yet, have they? Well, uh, the title race at the moment. Last year, Chelsea they were top by eight points. They won the title um, ahead of second place City. So it is a tight top four in the Premier League, as it is in La Liga. But goodness me, what about the Championship? What a year it has been, Lindsay. It is even tighter in the Championship. I have to say, as well, with two games to go, can you quite believe your eyes when you look at the table at the moment? Burnley, Middlesbrough and Brighton all have played 44 games and all are on 87 points. There are only three goals in goal difference separating the top three and only one goal between Burnley and Middlesbrough at the top. It's unbelievable. Hull are in fourth place and they're 10 points adrift, so you can rule them out making a late charge. It's going to be between these three for the automatic places, two places up for grabs and really nothing separating these sides. So you have to go on who goes into this final run-in in some good form. There is a huge humdinger of a game on the final day of the season because it is going to be Brighton against Middlesbrough um, and it's going to be Brighton away at Middlesbrough. So that could be key that that game is being played at the Riverside. However, what I will say about this is that Brighton are the form team at the moment going into these final two games of the season. It's them that have five wins in a row. It's them that have actually put three, four, five goals past some teams in the last few games. They take on Derby at home. And then they go to Middlesbrough. Um, Derby at home, Derby now, they are in the playoffs and they're safely in the playoffs. I don't see that they're going to have as much to play for. So I would imagine they would get the win against Derby and then it will all come down to that match against Borough, which means it's happy days for Burnley, really, because with that tie coming at the end of the season, you would think that Burnley have secured their automatic promotion place. They will have one of them. Um, They've just got to beat QPR at home and then Charlton away on the last day. I can't see them not beating Charlton when they've already been relegated. Um, And I can't see them, to be honest, slipping up against QPR. So Middlesbrough's other game, um, and that's the next one coming up, is away at Birmingham, which could be a tougher affair for Middlesbrough. Um, Ita Karanka, I'm starting to detect from him there was there's been some ups and downs with him obviously at Middlesbrough this season but I, I just detect a little bit in his, his tone of voice and his post-match this weekend a slight bit of concern mm. and out of all the managers I think he's the one showing it um, they've drawn their last two matches and although you can keep putting this unbeaten tag around it isn't like Brighton who won the last five in a row they've drawn their last two games against Birmingham as well it was goalless in the last outing and the last season it finished 1-1 in this fixture And it could well be another draw. I could see that happening. And if they drop two points and it does come down to that final game, what a position Brighton would be in knowing that maybe they only need to draw in order to go up. Um, Personally, just from a geography point of view, Hayley McQueen, I'm sorry to say it, but I would love Brighton to come into the (laughs) Premier League. I think they've been, um, I think they've been set for Premier League football for a while. Um, I really like Chris Hewton as a manager. Um, and it would be really nice to have a little visit down to the seaside. <laughs> not, not that we're nearly in the middle of May and it's still freezing cold. Yeah. Trust you to pick it on location. Poor Haley's sat here. Middlesbrough through and through. It's in her blood and she's gone with Brighton because it's quicker to travel to and it's by the seaside. Oh, Lindsay, that's just cr- Well, fine, Brighton can go up. So can Middlesbrough. Burnley are going to drop out. Who are they? Nobody. You, you think Burnley are going to drop out. So they're going to they're drop points in both of those games. Even though, as the two others, they're playing each other. Does Burnley, Burnley are up. Burnley have done it. No. 
<laughs> I'm not having it. Yeah, it probably will happen, but I don't, just don't like to think about it. Uh, I don't like to think about Manchester United not qualifying for, qualifying for a Champions League place either. Behind Arsenal at the moment, Arsenal and City level on 64 points. I think Leicester, they're going to win the title. I don't care what anyone says. They had a little wobble. We were slightly nervous, weren't we? But they are just on an absolute roll. I'm going to look at La Liga, I think, when we're looking at tight title races. Not as tight as the championship, Lindsay. But let me tell you where we are. So after 35 games played, Barca top with 82 points, level with Atletico, but Atletico have a much less superior goal difference, Okay, They've been brilliant defensively, um, but they um, don't have anywhere near as many goals back in the net as uh, Barca do. Real uh, Madrid on 81 points. Let's do a quick rundown as to where we are. Barcelona, we all know Barcelona, the team who can't lose, right? Well, until the wheels fell off a few weeks ago, because um, with talk of a historic back-to-back treble looming, Enrique's men, well, they kind of ended their chances in quite spectacular fashion. Uh, An El Clasico defeat against Real Madrid. They lost four out of their next five games, crashed out of the Champions League to Atletico um, and obviously squandered their La Liga cushion. They are still in the the Copa del Rey. Um, They have come back and they've had that great 8-0 win against Deportivo. Neymar's been exceptional this season, I think. But the lesson here is that Barcelona are beatable. They might be getting back on track right now, but is it too little, too late? It's theirs to lose, I think, La Liga. We know that they've got a great history behind them. They've got great belief behind them as well. I'm concerned that they might be quite tired. They, they look jaded. They don't have as many options on the bench as Atletico and Real Madrid for me. But... Based on history, I think it's Barcelona's to lose. Atletico, well, they started the season badly. Um, I think everyone thought that they were going to come up with this fantastic new brand of young, exciting football at the beginning of the season. It didn't happen, so they went back to what they know, and they're back on track now, you know, tied on points with Barcelona. But as I've said, goal difference, much less superior than Barcelona. Standout player of the season, Fernando Torres. It's been great what's happened to him at Atletico. Um, Currently riding a five-game scoring streak, best in his career, so we can't argue with that at all. Um, They are a great side, Atletico, but as I said, I think... It's Barca's to lose. And unless Barca have another blip, Atletico, I think, are just going to struggle to do it. And let's remind ourselves that Atletico also have the distraction of Champions League, whereas Barcelona don't now. Exactly. They'll be facing Bayern Munich in the Champions League. So that could well distract them. Real Madrid, strange season for them. The arrival and the departure of Rafa Benitez. They were lacking in fitness, I think, when Zidane took over. He's addressed that. And I think in terms of being the form side, they are playing great football at the moment, but they've had a lot to make up for um, from the beginning of the season. Um, in terms of ending, in terms of closing fixtures, I think Barcelona have win it there for me as well. They've got um, Sporting Union, Betis, Espanyol and Granada as their final four fixtures. Real Madrid, they've poss- possibly got the toughest um, run of the fixtures that they've got to play Real Sociedad in their final few games. Um, so, yeah, Barcelona for me, uh, I think Real Madrid could well pip Atletico just based on form, but it really it's just about who drops the points rather than who wins them. In terms of past years, well, this is quite similar to 2013-14. So two years ago, remember, it went down to the last day of the season. All three teams, same three teams in it. When we compare it to last season, Barcelona playing under Enrique, um, run, out, r- run out winners for them. Atletico, by contrast, by the way, last season, 16 points off the top of the table. So going right down to the wire for La Liga, definitely those three teams, ones to watch. Who's going to mess up? Is anyone going to mess up? Hi, I'm Matt Letitia. 
and you're listening to The Offside Rule, three girls talking about football. Randy Lerner's messed up, hasn't he? (laughs) Aston Villa have messed up. And what about this? Move over all the great poets that have ever been in existence. This is Randy Lerner uh, when he released a a new statement, not just to say that it was all his fault and everything had gone wrong at the club, but he he decided to to write a little kind of poem, a nagging sense of inevitability. Can't say why. Doubt I'm alone. How many seasons, (laughs) after all, can one hold on? Desperate existence. My feet and no one else's. Memories of acorns romantically nourish me. I'm sure it makes sense to him. It doesn't make sense to anyone else. So we're going to have a little look. Uh, maybe chairman, owners, people high up in football that have said things or done things that haven't really made sense. Lindsay. Well, I've gone abroad for a couple and I'm going to start with Aldo Spinelli, who was at Livorno. Have you got that? <laughs> um, and pretty much on a yearly basis, he threatened to leave. He said he hated his time in Tuscany. Um, He had lots of rants about how much he hated his life there. He wanted to sell up and he wanted to go. But 14, 15 years on, he was still there. So Spinelli, he attempted to address a problem um, because he wanted to get more crowds through the gates. Um, And he called it a commie town. Um, A commie town. I think that's to say that it was common, isn't it? Yeah. I was thinking communist, but I think he means common. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and in a really bizarre sort of PR stunt, he said, who would want to come to a 420-year-old lousy cesspit stadium? Um, so, of course, enticing people to come in their swarms, I'm sure. Um, he just didn't have a way with words. And neither did the next man that I've got, um, Maurizio Zamparini from Palermo. Yeah. Um, this man, again, I know that we're going abroad for this, but you you have to go with this as an option because you cannot believe what came out of his mouth. Um, Very impatient, ferocious, um, red-tempered sort of Italian. Um, And he he actually, at the last count, I think he'd gone through, he'd gone through at some point about 23 or 4 coaches at one point at the club. Anyway, over his decade in charge, Zamperini, um, he had some great quotes. And this is what you wanted. You wanted different things that he's called for. Well, he called for referees to be imprisoned, all of them. (laughs) He threatened to cut all his players' testicles off and eat them with his salad. I think we might have covered that before. Um, Calling England a land of pirates. Oh, are. are. We are not. (laughs) Do that again. (laughs) We are not. (laughs) (laughs) That's the funniest pirate I've ever heard. And he admitted that he fancied the coach, uh, Delio Rossi, more than his own wife. Um, He also called Adrian Mutu a crafty gypsy. You can't be doing that. Um, He thought it was a compliment. It obviously wasn't. So some choice words. um, And I think we're a little bit more guarded in this country. But if you have found any in the UK, please let me know. Um, And I'll finish later on once you've given yours with a little one line of what someone said, which is a bit unbelievable. I did have one of yours, but I will go and uh, tell you about a few things that someone once told a player. Um, It's not that crazy or outlandish, although he has just won the PFA Player of the Year. But not that long ago, uh, a coach told him he was far too small, not fit for the higher echelons of football and just not tactical enough. And he was never going to be scouted. So he just needed to give up. I don't know exactly who this coach was, but it was when Riyad Mahrez used to travel to Sarcelle in the northeast of Paris. It was the Nelson Mandela football um, camp. And he used to go every year. You'd have um, scouts from Bordeaux, Toulouse, Paris Saint-Germain coming to look at the new 
new kids on the block. And um, he was this uh, little kid didn't feel like he fitted in, but absolutely loved football. And you look at the kind of diminutive messy that you have now and, um, you know, the Giuseppe Rossi's just plucking him out of somewhere. I don't even know where he is right now, but I think he's doing okay. And you have these little players that you think, well, they're never going to make it. They're too small. I remember when Danny Welbeck was like a little deer on ice with these skinny legs and he was little and he was just already clumsy. And I was like, oh, look at him now. Mm. Um, but yeah, exactly the same happened to Riyad Mahrez. You're, just, you're too small. You're basically just not good enough and you're never going to be scouted. You just need to give up. What a silly thing to say. But in fact, probably the best thing that could have been said to him because it made him more determined. My other is just... Um, Derby's chairman, uh, Mel Morris, who when Paul Clement came in, of course, Steve McLaren got sacked because they were eighth. That wasn't good enough. Paul Clement left them and was sacked when they were fifth in the table. They're actually fifth at the moment right now. They were three points clear of seventh place Ipswich at the time. But even though he had plethora of experience coaching for many clubs, including, of course, most recently, Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain as well, where he was the assistant manager, uh, Mel Morris rambled on about how he wasn't good enough and said he's failing to build on the Derby way. But what way is that? Yes, maybe he wants promotion, but when you're not going to be giving your team enough money to be spending on these players, you can't expect a manager to be a complete wizard. What is the Derby way? Like, who knows? Who knows? Well, both my chairman's ramblings are not really ramblings. They're just stupid ideas, basically. Uh, this is what can come out of the mouth of chairman. Both of them relate to pitch invasions. A couple of different solutions here from home and abroad. Ken Bates, when he was chairman at Chelsea, well, of course, Stamford Bridge had quite a few hooligan problems back in the day. His solution um, was apparently that he once submitted plans to install electrified fences around the pitch to keep hooligans in line because it worked on his farm. Yes, thank you very much. That's not only a stupid idea, it also does doesn't tell me that you hold a very high opinion of your own fans. Or uh, human beings generally. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the next one relates abroad um, to Stour Bucharest. Now, um, Stour had been threatened with expulsion from the league over there after a series of pitch invasions and clashes. So Stour's chairman, Alexander Kringeset, decided that the best way to stop the hooligans um, was, wait for it, by building a crocodile-infested moat around the pitch. Yep, that's right, folks, according to this one little internet gem that I've found. Um, he basically said that it wasn't a joke. He said, we can get crocodiles easy enough and feed them on meat from the local abattoir. That's how much he thought about it. Uh, the ditch was planned to be wide enough that no one could manage to jump over it yet, because otherwise it would be a bit pointless, wouldn't it? Um, anyone who did try to jump over it, of course, would have to deal with the crocs. What a great solution. Wow to stop pitch invasions. I'm Gary Neville and you're listening to The Offside Rule. Well, thank you very much, ladies. And thank you very much for listening. If you have got to the end of this uh, award-winning podcast, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Offside Rule Pod. You can go to our website as well, The Offside Rule Podcast. It's great. Lots of features on there. And um, yeah, pass the word on. Spread the word to your friends. Get them listening. If you have anything you want us to talk about, any topics that you think you want us to discuss, feel free to get in touch. Yeah, do. Not many left till the end of the season. So uh, soak them up, folks. Absolutely. And also make sure you save as your favourites or maybe your homepage at offsiderallpodcast.com. Some brilliantly talented writers and always fresh new football content every day. Get yourselves over there. Yeah, and wherever you're listening, if you haven't found us on Audio Boom yet, you can, of course, go there as well. Well, this podcast was brought to you by Kate, Lindsay and myself and Continental Ties, of course, getting you to the game safely. Sports Social Podcast Network.